I looked at my unfinished to-do list and the panic and the criticism just began to rise up inside of me. It seemed like every day more was being added to the list and hardly anything was being checked off. Now this wouldn't be a problem except that I oftentimes tie my self-worth and sometimes my self-esteem into what I get done or in this case the long list of things that I'm not getting done. So needless to say I wasn't giving myself any high fives right about now but maybe I should have at least been giving myself a hug. So Dr. Kristen Neff has been at the forefront of self-compassion research for years and she's written an excellent book about the surprising benefits that self-compassion has as an antidote for the never-ending struggle for perfection. And it's called Self-Compassion, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind. Now, perfectionism is one of my biggest challenges. And I know many other people face the challenges of always having to feel they have to be doing more, be doing it better than what they're doing right now. So I wanted to share some of the simple but profound wisdom that Dr. Neff has about how developing the ability to be more compassionate with yourself, instead of negating your ability to accomplish things, it can actually support and promote more holistic well-being and even more motivation. How does our definition of success shape how we live our daily lives? Join me, your host, Michael Bauman, as we create a life of success by exploring the cutting-edge research in happiness, motivation, psychology, philosophy, and more. Welcome to Thrive Culture Success Engineering. To start this off, I wanted to start talking about the basic components of compassion. Now, there's three main components. The first one is if we're having compassion for somebody else, the first thing we need to do is we need to actually notice that they are suffering. It sounds obvious, but a lot of times we don't do that in our day-to-day life. So the first thing is we need to notice their suffering. And if you ignore the person on the street or the person suffering or your coworker that you may be, you know, picking up that they're not doing super well, you can't feel compassion for them or you can't empathize or relate to how difficult their experience is. So that's the first thing. We have to be aware of their suffering. And then that suffering has to move us um, in some way so that our heart actually responds to their pain. So the word compassion literally means to suffer with. You're, you're entering into their suffering to kind of share that load with them. So when you feel your heart turn towards their pain or turn towards their suffering, you feel this warmth or this caring or a desire to actually help them in some way. And then you offer you know, understanding or kindness when they may fail or when they make mistakes rather than just simply judging them harshly. So that's the second thing. You need to notice it. The second thing, you need to actually be moved by it in some way. And the third one is actually realizing that imperfection and suffering are just a part of the shared human experience. Everybody is imperfect and everybody is going through some level of suffering. And so this makes a bunch of sense when we think in reference to other people. Like we, we recognize this, we see this, you know, if we're moved with compassion for other people, we see these things. And compassion in general is a highly regarded value in many cultures. But when we turn these tables around and it comes to compassion for ourselves, 
In fact, the exact opposite is true. What we so value when we see as this generosity act of compassion or empathy towards others, we actually a lot of times think that the opposite is true for ourselves. It seems like the more self-critical we are of ourselves, the better. And we tend to think that self-criticism is the same as self-evaluation. And it's actually a positive thing to be hyper-aware of all of our mistakes and weaknesses because that drives us to improve and get better. And so Dr. Neff actually says the number one reason that we think we need our self-criticism is to motivate ourselves. But the research that she's done over decades actually shows the opposite. Self-criticism, ultimately, it undermines our motivation. And when we criticize ourselves, we're basically tapping into that fight or flight part of our brain and our body perceives it as a threat. So we're basically threatening ourselves, which is interesting, but, but it's a threat to our self-concept and not our actual self. And so when we attack the problem that we see, then we have this double whammy of being both the attacker and the person who's getting attacked. So every time we self-criticize, we're attacking and we and then we are also receiving the wounds of basically attacking ourselves. So it's a pretty vicious negative cycle. Um, and ultimately, it leads to less motivation, less positive emotion, and even a higher risk of depression. So it's important to highlight the difference between self-criticism and self-evaluation. It's very beneficial to be able to be aware of the mistakes that we do, but also our strengths, to value our strengths, to know what we do really, really well, but then also to be aware and be able to objectively evaluate ourselves and go, these are areas that I can improve. That's different than criticizing ourselves and putting ourselves down because of those areas. One, on one hand, it's just data. The other hand, it has a negative connotation and negative um, effect with it as well. Another important thing that a distinction that is important to make is the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem. So self-esteem in the research, it actually used to be used as pretty much the ultimate marker of health. You know, the people that that show high levels of self-esteem, the research thought, this is what we want to attain. You know, people that are very comfortable with themselves, that have achieved this high level um, of self-esteem. So self-esteem, fundamentally, it's a global evaluation of your self-worth. So are you a good person or a bad person? But high self-esteem can also be problematic. And the problem comes, it isn't about having the high self-esteem. It's more so about how you go about getting your self-esteem. So in the Western world, it's almost considered an insult to be average. If you're just average, in our mind immediately goes, oh, I need to be above average. I need to be in the gifted and talented program. I need to be overachieving and excelling you know, above my peers. And The thing about this, though, is all of us are above average. It's a logical impossibility. You know, we can't all be above average. And so if we always have to be striving to be above average, then we begin to start playing these little games that put ourselves up above other people and other people down below us. And so Dr. Neff actually says that right now, college graduates have the highest level of narcissism in the last 20 years. And many of us know of the epidemic of bullying that we're currently facing in our society and unfortunately, maybe even through direct experience. And all of that is putting ourselves above the people around us. And so self-esteem is contingent upon success. 
But the question we have to ask is, what happens when we fail? And then that's where we really feel terrible when we fail and our self-esteem can drop based on that assessment of ourselves. And the number one domain in women in particular, Dr. Neff was talking about, where they invest their self-esteem is their perception of attractiveness. And I thought this was really interesting when she was talking about this. So around third grade, boys and girls both think they're reasonably attractive and they have pretty good self-esteem. Boys' self-esteem stays relatively steady throughout middle school and high school with kind of your expected dips and raises. While for girls, after third grade, their perception of attractiveness and self-esteem really starts to take a nosedive um, after that third grade time, which is kind of crazy if we're basing all of our self-esteem on that one thing of attractiveness, and that's just promoted in our culture. So the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion is self-compassion is actually embracing ourselves exactly how we are. So all of our flaws and everything. And then there's another pervasive trait in the Western world, and this is to kind of ignore, minimize, or medicate our pain, both physically and emotionally. And really, pain is our body's warning system of letting us know that something's wrong. And we can theoretically understand this in, you know, physically, but still, a lot of times in the Western world, we have all of these drugs and, you know, if our cholesterol is high, we have drugs for that. If our blood pressure is high, we have drugs for that. If we have pain, we have, you know, ibuprofen and Tylenol, things that just masks the pain. It's not dealing with the problem. Our body's saying something's wrong, but we have a very, you know, wide variety of ways to mask the pain or to medicate the pain. But even emotionally, we tend to ignore emotionally the emotional pain we may be feeling. We're like, it's not a big deal. It's not important. And really, that's our body way of saying you either need rest or something's wrong that needs to be addressed. And emotions are essentially just fundamental needs that we have that aren't being met. And if we don't recognize that, we will meet them in another way. And so instead of just ignoring the pain that we have, you know, physically or emotionally with kind of that, you know, stiff upper lip mentality, really stop and tell yourself, this is what self-compassion is. It's stopping in that moment and saying, this is really difficult right now. And it's recognizing, oh, my body is telling me something and I'm going to recognize that and I'm going to actually label it or name it and say, this is really difficult right now and accept that. And then how can I comfort and care for myself in this moment? So your body needs something and recognizing that is the first step and then going, how can I care for that? And this is the essence of what self-compassion is. So Dr. Kristen Neff's definition of self-compassion is basically having compassion for yourself means that you honor and accept your humanness. Things will not always go the way you want them to. You will encounter frustrations, there'll be losses, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to bump up against your limitations, fall short of your ideals. But this is the human condition, and it's a reality shared by everyone. The more you open up your heart to this reality, instead of constantly fighting it, the more you will be able to feel compassion for yourself and all your fellow humans in the experience of life. So there are three components to self-compassion. The first component, just like anything else, is a mindfulness or an awareness component. 
You have to be aware of it. Just like, you know, we understood that in relationship to somebody else. The first step is noticing that they're suffering or in pain. Same thing with ourselves. If we're having self-compassion, we have to notice when we're suffering or when we're in pain. And then also kind of taking a balanced approach to those negative emotions so that the feelings are neither suppressed nor exaggerated out of proportion. And so that kind of balanced approach involves relating to personal experiences um, of others who are also suffering. And then it kind of puts our situation into a larger perspective as well. So that's how we can stay balanced, not exaggerating the emotions that we're feeling when we compare it to a common humanity, which is the third kind of aspect of self-compassion. The second one, so we have this mindfulness, we're aware of some pain or frustration that we're feeling. And then it's being kind to ourselves versus judging ourselves. And people can't always, as we know, we can't always get or be what we want. Um, Even though my three-year-old is in the stage where he's very fond of saying, but I want it. And I'm very fond of saying, sometimes a little too forcefully, you can't always get what you want. But when I look at my own life, I want to have this control. You know, I want to be, be in control or, you know, that helps me feel grounded And when I don't get it, it's almost like my three-year-old son where I'm like, but I want it, but I want it. I want to have that control. But self-kindness is actually just letting go of that and recognize that as a reality of the world we live in. We can't control it. And when we deny this reality um, or fight against kind of the suffering that we're feeling, it increases the stress that we feel and the frustration and how critical we are. It's just like trying to swim upstream. You have this world that's constantly changing and we're trying to just lock it down and solidify it and be perfect. That's really exhausting. But when we accept that reality with sympathy and kindness, we have a greater emotional equanimity. So we need to first acknowledge we're suffering and we identify so much with that harsh critic that we don't notice the incredible pain that we're actually causing ourselves. So we acknowledge that and then we're kind towards ourselves. And the question in this area is, how do you treat yourself on a bad day? And that's, that's my challenge. Like I said, you know, I'm talking, talking to myself here. Um, this is, this is a challenge for me. How do I treat myself on a bad day when I feel like I haven't been productive when I didn't get anything done? You know, I let myself down, quote unquote, how do I treat myself? How do I treat myself mentally? How am I talking to myself mentally? Most of the time it's not super great, which is why these things are helpful for me as well. So the third aspect of self-compassion is an aspect of shared humanity. And this is contrasted with isolation. So Dr. Neff said, we have this frustration at not having things exactly the way we want them, but it's often accompanied by this irrational but pervasive sense of isolation. So it pulls us away and we say, I'm the only person who's suffering or making these mistakes. But really, all humans are suffering and everybody makes mistakes. It's essentially included in the very definition of being human. It's you're vulnerable, you're imperfect, you know, like we talked about with Brene Brown. And so self-compassion involves recognizing that suffering and our own personal inadequacy that it's a part of the shared human experience. It's something we all go through rather than being something that happens to me alone. What this does is this helps us look and see how am I the same as other people? You know, to be human means to be imperfect. 
and we can recognize that, that we're not isolated in our suffering. And that recognition is what really allows us to connect to other people. It's, it's actually a binding between us when we go, you know, I'm suffering and I realize my inadequacy, but I also know that you are. We have this shared humanity that can actually be a very strong bond. So those are the three aspects of self-compassion. We have, you know, being mindful first, being kind to yourself, and then kind of broadening it out and realizing that everybody suffers and everybody makes mistakes. And that's a part of our shared humanity. And then another important definite a distinction to make is self-compassion is not self-pity. So when people feel self-pity, they usually turn internally. So they get just immersed in their own problems and they forget that other people have similar problems. They ignore their connections with other people and they feel they're the only people in the world who are suffering. So self-pity emphasizes separation and it exaggerates our own personal suffering, where self-compassion is the opposite. It actually allows you to look at yourself in the related experience among other people. So your focus actually turns outward. You recognize what's going internally, but you relate it to what everybody else is also going through as well. And when we're just self-pitying, we can't step back from our own situation and adopt that more balanced or objective perspective where when we're compassionate, it it kind of frees up mental space to broaden that context to the whole human experience. And, you know, a way to put this is essentially, you know, yes, the situation is very difficult, what I'm going through right now, but there are many other people who are experiencing much greater suffering. Perhaps this isn't worth getting quite so upset about. So it's a lot more balanced approach to what's going on when we broaden it out to the, the scope of all of what humanity is going through. So we have these three aspects of self-compassion, mindfulness, noticing the pain and frustration that you're feeling. So you can do this by simply just saying, this is, this is hard right now, or this is difficult right now. Then having kindness and compassion for yourself. And what that could look like is going, I'm sorry that you're going through this. And you may notice this sounds exactly like how you talk to a good friend. And that's perfect, right? Because we do a really, a lot of times, you know, we do a really good job of encouraging other people, but we can't extend that same encouragement towards ourselves. So just think about how you talk to a good friend and use those same, use that same language to encourage yourself. So that second aspect, having kindness and compassion, you, you may say, you know, hey, I'm sorry that you're going through this right now. And then that last aspect of shared humanity is everybody has difficult days or this, you know, everybody goes through a hard time, but I'm here for you. You're doing an amazing job. Keep it up, right? Even just saying that to yourself, it makes you feel more encouraged and more uplifted and, you know, you feel more motivated to continue going rather than that self-critical person that stands on your shoulder um, that where you really feel discouraged and you don't feel motivated to go on. So even in that small sentence, you could notice the difference in terms of how you feel compared to criticizing yourself. So overall, the research is really strong on this. Um, self-compassion is highly related to mental well-being. People are more self-compassionate. They have less depression. They have less anxiety. They have less stress. There's less perfectionistic tendencies. They are happier 
greater life satisfaction, they have more motivation, they make healthier life choices, and they have better interpersonal relationships. So really that well-balanced life that we're looking for. And what's beautiful about self-compassion is it offers the benefits of self-esteem without the pitfalls of it. So it gives you a much more stable sense of self-worth, and it's there for you precisely when you fail. So when you fail, that's when self-esteem deserts you. But self-compassion, that's when it is actually really, really strong. So when self-esteem runs away, self-compassion steps in and says, you're a human being worthy of love in this moment. Like not just worthy of love when you're succeeding, when you're a rock star on top of the world, but when you're failing, everything's falling apart. Self-compassion comes in to that and goes, you are worthy of love right now because you have this shared experience Um, it's recognizing your pain and everybody goes through this and you can actually be your own encourager and your own coach, which is phenomenal. So in the profound words of Brene Brown, she says to claim the truths about who we are, where we come from, what we believe, and the very imperfect nature of our lives, we have to be willing to give ourselves a break and appreciate the beauty of our cracks or imperfections. We either own our stories, even the messy ones, or we stand outside of them and we deny our vulnerabilities and imperfections and we orphan the parts of ourselves that don't fit in with who or what we think we're supposed to be. And then we begin hustling for other people's approval of our worthiness. Perfectionism is exhausting because hustling is exhausting. It's a never ending performance. So today, what I want you to do is I want you to just try to step out of that exhausting cycle of perfectionism and begin to notice the times that you're beating yourself up. Notice that internal dialogue when you start criticizing yourself. And instead of you know having that criticism, turn it towards being good and encouraging and loving to yourself. Think about how you would encourage a friend who's going through a hard time and just turn that on yourself. And then after you finish this podcast, you can check out the website, www.selfcompassion.org. And this is Dr. Kristen Neff's website. And she has specific exercises you can do to start building the foundation of self-compassion in your life to begin to grow this ability within yourself. If you found value in these episodes and this podcast, it would mean a lot if you would share it with people or even if there's somebody that you know that is struggling with this issue of perfectionism and just being compassionate with themselves, just share this episode. Hopefully it can be encouraging for them as well. This is your host, Michael Bauman with Success Engineering. Thank you for listening.